For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, when his son asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? This is a, uh, one of my life verses. It's one of those things that I found to be so true and that I count on in my life, in my walk with the Lord. But remember that this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And this winds up being a checkpoint to us as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. If you'll recall, I'm not going to give all the details all the way back, but remember it starts off, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the, what? Kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And then it goes on and we get to the Lord's Prayer where we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so at this point, we're supposed to be those who have realized we need God. That we have a life that has been given to us that is to be lived for Him. And we need Him to help us to live it. We can't do it in our own steam and in our own power. We can't do it on our own. We're going to need His help from time to time in this fallen world. Being God's children in a fallen world, we're going to need His help. And so uh, for those of us who have received everything that he's offered up to this point, we will be those who have been born anew and born again and living a life that is different from the world. And these words are just going to be a word of comfort and encouragement to us, reminding us that in living this life for God that you have chosen to live, you have help. You have help. And if you're a little bit skittish about asking, he goes on and says, hey, you have a heavenly father that cares more about you than you could ever care about your own kids. And so it winds up being just a point of encouragement to us. But I run across so many people that this checkpoint would be one of those places where they would have, if they really were honest with themselves, They'd have to turn around and go back. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Whenever uh, Sharon and I travel to foreign countries, we get to checkpoints. We get to those places where maybe we've landed uh, in a foreign country and we're on the soil. And then we get up to a certain place and then they're going to want to know what you're bringing with you. Who are you? And if you don't pass certain criteria... You don't go any further. And so this is kind of, this is like customs check-in time, you know. And so if you uh, wind up not having given your life to the Lord, 
then you're going to wind up hitting a bump in the road here. Many people find it hard to ask God. Many find it difficult. Many who call themselves Christians will not ask God for anything. And this is just an amazing thing to me since uh, you're not going to get very far without him. But there are those people. But there are those people that I've, I've heard them tell me. I've, in fact, I was talking to somebody just a couple of weeks ago where they've, they said, I've prayed and prayed and prayed. Just everything just gets worse and worse. And I've heard that so many times in different ways. And uh, basically, I've heard some people say, yeah, I tried that prayer thing and it didn't work. Well, let me tell you, there's a difference in that prayer thing and living as a child of God in the kingdom of God. There's a difference. It not, it's not just that prayer thing. It's a whole different life. And you don't just take bits and pieces of the Christian life. It's not like a supermarket. The Bible's not like a supermarket where you just pick and choose what you want. This is God's Word. This is God's instruction manual for how to live the life that He created you for. And just like some other documents, this document does not change. There's so many people who want to throw this away now, thinking we've outgrown the Bible. We don't need this anymore. They look on it as a document that's been created by people, not by God. God's Word is changeless. And it applies just as much today as it did way back then. I can remember uh, talking to a guy. Well, actually, he was my boss. We were in a Sunday school class. He was pastor and I was a youth director. And I was in this young couple Sunday school class with him. And uh, he was talking about how uh, the, whole, the whole course was on the, the Bible study that we we're going through was getting straight about the Bible. And it's one of these things that was just picking on the Bible and saying, well, you know, a lot of this stuff. And I said, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day. We haven't changed since way back when in the Bible and way back in the Old Testament, nothing has changed. Well, things have changed a lot, he said, you know. And said, I said, yeah, but you know, people and people's hearts have not changed. So, well, I've changed. I'm not the same as my parents. He said, I'm taller than my parents. I have less hair than my parents. I said, yeah, but I'm not talking about physical appearance. I'm talking about human hearts. David got into trouble over the same thing back then, thousands of years ago, that guys get in trouble about today. Things don't, people's hearts haven't changed. The Ten Commandments are just as valid then and just as needed today. There are certain spiritual, basic things of the human heart and the human spirit that never change. Yes, we may have better means, but our ends have not changed. And so this word applies to us just as succinctly today as it did back then. And when we try to buck against it, we wind up in a bad spot. So, uh, we wind up with these people that uh, as they're trying the Christian thing, I guess you might say, they try prayer, 
And the way that they pray is they try to boss God around. You ever notice that? They make up their mind what God needs to do, and they tell Him what He needs to do, and then they get upset when He doesn't do it. I mean, if I was God, I would say, now, wait a minute, you know, wait a minute, I'm God, and you're not, you know? Uh, but uh, we'd get it backwards. We want to turn it around, and so we know better than God does. You see, prayer should be communicating with God two ways. And He's the superior. You don't communicate with Him like uh, you're His boss. He's not just super Santa Claus waiting to get your list. That's not God. So you ask. Jesus says, ask. My kids from time to time when they're growing up, they seem to all go through a phase where they don't want to ask. They'll hint. They'll be pitiful. They'll do all sorts of things. They'll do anything but ask. And so we'll just have to get to the point where we have to tell them. Even if somebody says, oh, I sure am thirsty. Would you like a drink of water? Yeah. Well, you ask for it. I'll give it to you. Oh, boy, I sure am thirsty. <laughs> they just don't want to ask. And just like a little kid, many times there's something that keeps us from wanting to ask. But thank goodness Jesus tells us we have a heavenly Father that loves us. But sometimes He'll have to teach us to ask. Just like we have to teach our kids to ask. To communicate clearly. So uh, they try to boss God around and tell Him what they want. And then they wonder why God isn't cooperating. It's because they haven't gotten things in the right order yet. You're God. I am your subject. You care for me. But I need to get instructions from you, not the other way around. And so uh, we wind up not asking. And Jesus hits on one of the main reasons why people don't ask. Sometimes people are afraid to ask. And he immediately cuts through that and says that, uh, like, like we've said earlier, if, you're, if you know how to give good things to your children... Don't you know that your Father who is in heaven is going to give you good stuff if you ask Him for good, if you ask Him for something? Whatever the, the, the point is, what, if you ask God for something, He's going to give you what's best. He's not going to trick you. He's not going to give you a joke for a, an answer to prayer. He's going to give you something good. But some people are afraid to ask because they don't trust God. And sometimes they're just afraid of God. Sometimes they're afraid that if they start really asking in the right way, that they will wind up being in a spot to where they'll be obliged to Him or to where He may want more of them than what they are willing to give. I remembered a prayer this morning. I want to share it with you. It's by Reese, well, by Wilbur Reese called $3 Worth of God. Maybe you've heard it before. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. No, not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want... Enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. 
I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. That pretty well explains what a lot of people want from God. A pound of God in a paper sack. What else do they give you in paper sacks? A can of beer and a fifth of whiskey. Things that you want to hide from the rest of the world, right? A pound of God in a paper sack. We don't want anybody else to see what we're carrying around even. It's private. And we're afraid. We're afraid that God might want too much of us. And so we hold back. And so he assures us that anything that he gives us is going to be good. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, oh, be careful what you ask for because you might get it. And the thing is, if you ask God for something, you're not going to have, have to be careful for what you're going to get. He's assured us it's going to be good. He says, ask, and the tense there is, and keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. But you can't ask if you're afraid. So that's the first thing that you have to do is trade your fear for faith. That's the first thing that you need to do. And I'll go ahead and mention something to you now. Some people say, well, I just don't have any faith. Bible says different. The Bible says to each man is given a measure of faith. But then we've got the, the father who, who said, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And so that's where a lot of us are. We believe, but we still have a lot of unbelief. And people try to work on their faith, but the faith is there, folks. You know God exists. So what's bringing about the fear? Your unbelief. So you don't work on your faith. Work on your own belief. You just get your unbelief out of the way and your faith will shine. Do you see that? So many people work on the wrong thing. They don't work on their unbelief. They work on their faith. I gotta be, gotta believe, gotta believe, gotta believe. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, we used to, you know, we heard the stories about Jesus walking on water. We'd get out there uh, by the pool, the public pool, and we'd start back and we'd start running. We were always trying to walk on water out there at the pool. We'd start running and we got close to water. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And we would just run. And sometimes we'd make a few steps before we started to sink, you know. But it was not because of our faith. It was because of our momentum, wasn't it? But that's the way we think if we just work up enough belief, then we can do wonderful things. It's not our belief that we have to work on. It's our unbelief. Get your mistrust of God out of the way. Start trusting Him instead. Do you see the difference? Okay, I'm going to let that go with that. But sometimes we're afraid to ask. Sometimes people are just too proud to ask. Pride gets in the way. I've had a lot of people that uh, I've asked, uh, well, they got in, get in a pickle. And I ask, I remember a guy who was doing very well, and all of a sudden he wasn't doing well. I said, well, have you asked God to help you with this? And he said, when I was doing well, I didn't bother him. I'm not going to bother him now. That's pride, people. And in the midst of his pride, 
Jesus is tapping him on the shoulder and saying, Ask, seek, knock. I'm right here. But pride has to be gotten out of the way. Some people have been taught not to ask. They're just taught you don't ask. And some people have been taught you don't ask for yourself. You just ask for, ask for others. Well, here Jesus is telling you, ask for yourself. Ask like a child asks a father for help with what they need help on. That's what he's saying here. And so it's okay to ask for help. Now then, I want to spend some time talking about what we should ask for. Because I think that's important. What should we ask for? And you know what we should ask for? If you are one of those who has uh, come to the place to where you are living the life that God has caused you to live, that has called you to live, and you're uh, running across challenges, and Jesus said you will. He said that, uh, uh, that you're going to run into trouble in this world. He said, if I had trouble, you know you're going to have trouble too. But, he says, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. And he's the one that we go to, and he knows what we're going through. So, the thing is, what should we ask for? In this life, if you're living your life for him, you can ask for whatever you need to get the job done in the life that he has given you to live. That's what you can ask him for. Now then, there are a lot of people that want to ask differently in the book of James... And Sharon, I'm going to try not to get into your stuff here since she's teaching out of the book of James right now. It says, where would all the fights and quarrels among you come from? They come for your desires for pleasure, which are constantly fighting within you. You want things, but you cannot have them, so you're ready to kill. You strongly desire things, but you cannot get them, so you quarrel and fight. And how many, you know, lots of times in connection with this ask, seek, and knock, you'll hear this coupled with it. You have not because you ask not. If you don't ask, you're not going to receive. And that's true. But listen to it in context. You do not have what you want because you do not ask God for it. And when you ask, you do not receive it because your motives are bad. That's the part they leave out. You can't just ask God for anything and expect, you know, if you want to ask him for a, a Rolls Royce, you know, he's probably not going to give that to you. I'm not saying he's not. You may need it in connection with what he's got you doing. But uh, the thing is, if you're just wanting things for status symbols, for uh, just uh, for your own personal aggrandizement, he's not in the personal aggrandizement business. He's in the glorifying God business. And as you live your life to his glory, he delights in that and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. But not whenever you're just seeking stuff for your own vain glory. And that's what James is saying here. You ask for things to use for your own pleasures. Oh, unfaithful people, do you not know That to be the world's friend means to be God's enemy? If you want to be the world's friend, you make yourself... Okay, let's see. If you want to be the world's friend, you make yourself God's enemy. Don't think that there is no truth in the scripture that says the Spirit of God placed in us is filled with fierce desires. 
But the grace that God's give is even stronger. As the scripture says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Many of those people that have tried that prayer thing are filled with pride. That's what's holding them back. And until they get pride out of the way, there's not much God can do for them. But if you are living your life for Him, then he, you're on His team. And He's going to help His team win. And so you can expect Him to help you along the way. So uh, whatever you need to get the job done. I remember when I first started off in seminary, Sharon and I chucked it all and headed off uh, and started over from scratch after being married for 10 years. And uh, uh, we got there and uh, wound up in a spot to where we had $40. Sharon had started the job, but she hadn't gotten paid yet. Uh, we had a, a place to live and we had $40 left and it was time for me to start to school. $40 was enough for us to eat off of until Sharon got her paycheck or it was enough to pay for daycare so I could go to school. And so that, it, was, it got down to that choice. Do we starve and me go to school? Or do I stay home and take care of the kids while Sharon's at work and blow going to seminary after we've moved there? Quite a dilemma, huh? And I can remember driving along on Central Expressway after taking Sharon to work or picking her up having a quarter tank worth of gas left and not knowing what else was going to happen and just looking at that and just saying, Lord, if this doesn't work, we're both going to be embarrassed. And I had to laugh after I said it because I knew that we were where we were because God had put us there. And somehow I couldn't see how, but God was going to make a way. Well, two things happened. First of all, I went home and pulled a check for $100 out of the mailbox that my dad had sent, who that's more than he paid toward my undergraduate degree right there. So that was fantastic. It just said tied them over. First it said T-I-D-E-M-O-V-E-R. I read it, tide mover. What's a tide mover? And then figured out, it was tied them over. So uh, that was a miracle. That check was a miracle. But then... I overheard a, uh, a conversation on campus where these people were talking about Hawk Hall Daycare Center. And it was a, a co-op daycare center there at the, uh, uh, at the seminary where for every hour you worked, you could leave your child there for four hours. We had two kids that had to be in daycare. And so... I wound up taking them up on that, signing up, and I became a day daycare worker, and we didn't have to pay for daycare. So it worked out so that during the time that we got that going, we got to eat, got to go to school. Do you see how the Lord made a way? When you're on His team and you're doing what He's called you to do, He's going to make sure you have what you need to get the job done. Later on, I think I've shared with you how... In the summertime, it got really, really hot. Oh, no, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself. There's another time when I've told you about the egg thing, I'll tell you about it. But uh, there was one other time where uh, 
Oh, Sharon had had Amy. We had moved out to my student appointment and were living there. And I was commuting 125 miles one way to go to seminary two or three days a week. And uh, money was getting tight. Sharon wasn't working. And so I happened to, I was praying and praying and praying about it, asking, seeking, knocking. And all of a sudden, I just walked by and heard a conversation. Yeah, they're paying part-timers $9.90 an hour. And this is back in 1976, where that'd be the equivalent of about $30 an hour, today's dollars, I guess. So uh, I stepped back and said, who's doing that? I said, oh, it's the motor freight, East Texas Motor Freight, where I'm working, just to haul freight, just to move freight. That's what they're paying. Anyway... I wound up, they said, oh yeah, come on out there. We'll vouch for you. Two guys in my congregation work for this place and they vouched for me and got me on working part-time. And so I wound up making $9.09 an hour, sometimes three in the summertime, I'd work a whole week almost, you know, five shifts a week, whatever. And, you know, it was two full-time churches after I graduated from seminary that I was making the same, uh, that, I, that our, the bottom line on our income tax, our gross income was up to where it was, what I was while I was going to school full time, serving a church part time and working at a daycare, at a, at a, on a, a loading dock part time. Uh, anyway, you see, God blessed. He made a way. And that was one of those things that was something personal. I was supposed to be providing as a father. And yet at the same time, I was preparing for uh, the ministry. And see, but the Lord helps you whenever you're on track. And you ask him and he will make ways and it doesn't even look like there are ways sometimes. So if you're living the life that he has called you to live, then if, if you, whatever you need to be the best husband you can be, to be the best wife that you can be, to be the best parent that you can be, to the, be the best child that you can be. God will provide the, the best grandparent that you can be. You, you name it. The best retiree, whatever. Whatever God has you doing in your life, He's going to help you if you're doing it the way that He wants it done. He will help you along. I wound up in a spot after we got to Marshall, Texas, that my mom and dad both had to go and they, they, they weren't able to take care of themselves. I was uh, hours away from them. We had to pray about what to do. So for about six years, we wound up with them in assisted living up there about three blocks from where our parsonage was in Marshall. And so uh, I wound up, the Lord made a way for me to be a child to my parents when they needed help and couldn't do things for themselves. At the same time, I had kids in college. I had other kids that were hurting and we were definitely in the sandwich generation. We had parents that were in need on one side and kids that were in need on the other. We were sandwiched in between and the Lord will help you in that sandwich generation spot. Because if you're trying, well, if you're trying to be the child and the parent that you have been called to be by him, he will make a way. So uh, 
Anyway, for whatever job he has for you to do. And then also, what else should you ask for? You should ask for those who can't ask for themselves. Sometimes you'll wind up with people that don't have enough faith and they still need help. God is glorified when you pray for them and he answers that prayer. I can remember, well, I'm not going to go into details. I'll just leave that at that today to save time. And also, whatever questions you can ask, whatever questions, if you have something that troubles you about the Bible or about the way that the creation is set up, whatever it is that, if you have questions that may make it hard for you to trust Him or understand Him, and sometimes these questions, I've seen them just paralyze people and keep them from moving forward with God. If you have questions like that, you ask, you seek, you knock, and the answers are going to be given and the doors will open. I'll give you, I'll use my mom as an example for this. I had a little brother that lived to be three days of age and he died. He was an RH factor baby. And so he was what they called a blue baby. And uh, he was uh, born... uh, and uh, you know, have the, there was a reaction, allergic reaction between the mom and the child. Anyway, my mom gave permission for them to do an autopsy on Michael Paul, not understanding what an autopsy was. You know, an autopsy, they take all your insides out, they cut your head open. She didn't realize she was giving them permission to butcher her little child. She was torn up because of this, and... I can remember just as a little kid, her came, she came home from the hospital and she wouldn't come out of her room. And I was a little kid, I was probably about Isaiah's age, my little two and a half year old grandson that lives with us. And I wanted my mom. And I'd go to the door and I could hear her just crying and crying out in there. And I remember opening the door and just seeing her there by the side of the bed, just why God? Why? Why? And just screaming at God. I didn't know what to do. Just closed the door. Went on about my business because I was told to leave her alone. Well, then one day she just came out and everything was fine. And I didn't think about that till years later. And it dawned on me something happened. And I asked her what it was. And she said, well, yeah, something did happen. While she was there just crying out to God, all of a sudden, he just gave her the answer to why in a poem. I wish I had the poem. I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I could have written it down. I did not. But the gist of it was, don't you know that your little boy is more precious to me than he is to you? He's with me. He's just fine. But because of your child's death, thousands will live. And with that message that he gave her in poem form came a peace. God has a peace that he can give. And he gave her that peace. And so everything was okay. Well, it turns out that Michael Paul's autopsy did help them to develop the first line of defense that saved children's lives where they would just give them a shot right after they were a child was born and then they would be fine. They gave them a transfusion 
They discovered that they would transfuse the child. They would survive. And so because of Michael Paul's death, many, many thousands of children lived. And that's wonderful, you know. But also, he gave her an assurance that her little child's okay. I look forward to seeing Michael Paul one of these days. I know I'm going to get to. Well, but then there was another thing. My mom had suffered quite a bit of loss in her life. Her first true love died in World War II, and that nearly killed her. Uh, She always talked about having a black thumb. She never could grow anything. You'd always die. But coupled with Michael Paul's death, she also had to have a hysterectomy, and she couldn't have any more children. And this killed her as well. And so there was another poem that God gave her as she cried out to God, wanting a child so badly and not being able to have any. That poem I have, this was her, his answer to her for that. And I've got the wrong piece of paper up here. And she entitled it, Why? Long had I searched for the reason why all that I touched must quickly die. From faintest hope to dreams most wild, from loveliest blossom blossom to dearest child. Long had I worried, long had I grieved for all things lost and none received. With body wrecked, with mind pained, I was lifted up, but no entrance gained. My answer now, I seek no more. This note I found on heaven's door. All your prayers were self-enriching, never you a blessing giving. Little orphans, there are many who need you and love aplenty. Ask you now for his forgiving, then hurry back and do his bidding. Well, out of that and her obedience, she was knocking on heaven's door, you see. Ask, seek, knock. So he left her a note on heaven's door and sent her back to do his bidding in the world. Out of that, I wound up with a little sister named Danette. My sister baby was adopted. And Danette is my sister just as much as any other sister could ever be. Lord, The Lord had a plan for my mom. My mom was willing to listen and obey. And so it is for all of us as we walk with Him and endeavor to do His bidding. If we will ask, if we will seek, if we will knock, answers will come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.